0: time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message.
1: We have been studying and talking about the wisdom of God weeks ago, we started with Paul giving us a foundation of the wisdom of God, particularly seen in the cross that shows how God's wisdom isn't just better than the world's. It is actually in another league. Then we began last week, a look into the practical outworking or example of that wisdom as it's found in the call of God, namely the call of unbelievers to salvation the call of God to himself, a call that we as believers are a part of, a call that we have heeded. As such, our understanding of the wisdom of God and our part in it drives us to greater worship and holiness. In keeping with the theme of wisdom, the more we live out the wisdom of God, the more we will succeed in those pursuits of holiness and worship. How so? To value what God values rather than what the world values. And that's the comparison, the contrast that Paul has set up. He's not just talking about the wisdom of God, as you recall. He is comparing the wisdom of God to the wisdom of man, which ultimately is foolishness. It is not wisdom at all. As we try to pursue that and I think we understand that intellectually, we understand that from the scriptures, from what we've seen. Uh, I don't think that there's anyone, uh, any believer who's been with us the past few weeks who disagrees with the general principle that indeed God is wiser than man, that we are to pursue the things of God rather than the things of the world. But there is a difficulty in that. And I believe the inherent challenge is that we exist as human beings, we relate And we participate in a society that is founded upon, uh, that promotes, of course, worldly values. And what's more, we are called to be lights to that world, in that world. And part of being a light is being a productive part of our world. Part of it is being part of society, having jobs, paying our bills, Uh, practicing social distancing to, to help the community not get sick. So being that we are not only in the world, but also functioning parts of the world, how do we keep our focus on the things that are not of this world? And on a more practical level, how do we keep the world from consuming our thoughts, from dictating our values and our desires? I believe this issue is exactly what Paul is helping us with in unpacking the calling of God to salvation. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 is a passage that we began last week. And I'm going to read the whole thing for you as we finish off the passage this morning. Verses 26 through 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, So that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord we are looking in this passage at four manifestations of God's wisdom in the calling. Four manifestations of God's wisdom in the calling. And we looked at two last week, and by way of review, the first one was the people of the calling. The people of the calling, and we saw this in verse 26, where Paul challenges the Corinthians and indirectly us as well. Consider your calling, brethren, There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. The calling again is the salvific or the effectual call of the elect. It is the call of God to himself. In unpacking both the literary and historical context last week, we saw that Paul is not saying that the influential or successful of the world cannot be saved. In fact, there were some within the Corinthian church that were probably of the upper classes. Paul doesn't say none of you are of the mighty, the noble, the wise, according to the flesh, but not many of you are. Regardless, for the most part, those who made up the Corinthian church were not the powerful of society. These words that Paul uses to describe what they are not Include the wise. This, as we saw, was the the philosophical or intellectual class. Secondly, the mighty. These were the influential and powerful leaders of society, politics, industry. And then we had the noble, those born into the wealthy ruling class. And if you remember, in that society 2,000 years ago, you didn't really move from class to class. Whatever you were born into, whatever you inherited, you were in that class. It's very unlike, uh, especially our American society today. And so when he says this, this really hits home because there couldn't even be people sitting there listening to this thinking, well, one day I will be. It just wouldn't happen. They weren't wise. They weren't mighty. They weren't noble according to the flesh, according to the world. No, these believers were the commoners. Common, nobodies, according to the world, but precious and unique in the eyes of God. And it wasn't that Paul was trying to embarrass or insult the Corinthian believers. On the contrary, he was trying to remind them of the goodness and wonder of God and His love for them. To remind them of who they were in God's eyes and how these commoners were by God's choosing actually shaming the worldly elite by virtue of their salvation. And we impact that thought in our second manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling, the paradox of the calling. We saw that in verses 27 and 28. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that they may nullify the things that are the foolish, the weak, the base, despised, and nothings of the world were used by God to shame the wise, the strong, and the everythings of the world. In other words, he used those who were considered nothing, the lowly, the commonest of the common, to belittle and nullify those that were deemed significant and even indispensable to the world. God chose the nothings to nullify the somethings. The have-nots to quash the haves. The grammar Paul uses helps us to see that the ultimate purpose of all of this is found in verse 29. And this morning I introduced to you the third manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling, the purpose of the calling. The purpose of the of the calling he says all of this in verse 29 so that no man may boast before god so that introduces a purpose clause we we use this maybe you don't remember uh, your grammar from grade school but it's a purpose clause you explain something i went to the store so that I could buy food. There's, why did you do what you just said? And this is the same case here. He is explaining the purpose of God, the ultimate end. And that is that no man may boast before God. The word boast is similar to how we use it today in the Greek. To take pride in. Or to glory in. To brag. But here it also has the concept of trusting or putting one's confidence in something. So you got to understand that boasting can be good or bad depending on what you are boasting in. Boasting in the Lord is a good thing. Here he's talking about people boasting in themselves. It's man glorying in himself, putting his confidence and trust in himself. And the grammar emphasizes that before God, There is not one single boast that could be made of this sort. It helps to understand that this Roman culture was a culture in which shaming others or boasting in oneself was common. We see that today. It's a, it's, the the sins don't change, right? There's nothing new under the sun but probably not to the degree except in rare circumstances like debates or or or, or 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 political wranglings like we have now with elections coming up. But generally speaking, you didn't have it probably to the degree that they did in Rome. It was considered an honor-shame culture. And oftentimes for these people, public recognition was more important than facts. And the worst thing that can happen to you socially was to have your reputation publicly tarnished. And we do kind of see that uh, today um, in in the media with uh, with public figures. doesn't matter necessarily what the facts are. If the reputation is tarnished, then their careers are over. But it was very prevalent in the culture that Paul is living in and is writing to. People in that day, I want you to hear this is very important for us today. People found their sense of worth through the recognition of their accomplishments by others. People found their self-worth through the recognition of their accomplishments by others. And I repeat that because it's something that we can easily struggle with. Back then, this is why self-promotion was so common, even within the church. There's even record, historical record, of slaves who were slaves within the same household who would rank themselves as either somebodies or nobodies. Going to the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you can see how this bled into the church. Remember, they were all trying to outdo each other, classifying themselves into different groupings under certain spiritual leaders, the the factions that we talked about. And this is all the wider context of what Paul is addressing and writing about here. And we'll even see more of this later in, in 1 Corinthians, all the way down to even these believers bragging about their spiritual gifts, trying to outdo one another by how gifted they were. But here, Paul says that what God has done is so that no man can boast before God because before any gifting is salvation. But men will boast. That's a fact. That's a reality. But truth be told, if you are realistic, they cannot boast before God. Why? Because if you once thought of God's salvation plan as foolish, which you did because natural man does, then how can you boast about your salvation now we're all on equal footing, the same starting point, a level playing field with no inherent advantages. Uh, this isn't like uh, a famous musician who grew up in a in a musician's home or an athlete who just was bigger, just by genetics and so had an advantage over other players we are all on equal footing regardless of how you grew up or what you were exposed to and you know what that equal footing is total depravity we're complete sinners your salvation whether you're saved or not whether you are called out of that depravity does not change whether you are raised by a christian family or not whether you are, live in a country where, where religion is outlawed or not, it is all God. There is none righteous, none who seeks after God. And this is why we need grace. This is which that which is undeserved, unearned. Total, utter depravity only by grace are we saved. Sinners saved by grace. And when you understand your salvation then you understand others' salvation. And that leads to an understanding of God's sovereignty and grace, not only in election and calling, but also in human talent and human giftedness. And when you understand all of that, the foundation of which is God's calling, you get why nobody can boast before God. Understand that all of this foolishness, all of this sin, all of this worldliness that Paul is addressing, we were that. We were enslaved to that. We thought that way. We had no ability in and of ourselves. Society could give us nothing to think outside of the box of worldly foolishness. And now that we are saved, we have nothing to boast about because God did it all. It's like when that when that kid in your class from elementary school, The loser. You see him on the news and he's now rich and famous and now you walk around going, hey, I was, I know that kid. I went to school with that kid. You can't brag about that when you were the only one calling him a loser. That's what we were doing. That's how we thought. The gospel, Christians, foolish. And now we have no right to brag because God saved us out of that. In Christ, we realize that we were the fools the foolish base man excuse me the foolish base man can do nothing for himself god has done everything he has made you who you are which leads us to the next two verses verses 30 and 31 but by his doing by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from god and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in these two verses, we find our fourth and final manifestation of God's wisdom in the calling, the product of the calling. The product of the calling. Here Paul continues his flow of thought of no man being able to boast before God by emphasizing what God has done. He says, by His doing. And what is it that he has done? The most important thing. The everlasting thing. We are in Christ Jesus. As we have seen all along, he did this by making Christ the wisdom from God. And through this wisdom, God gives us eternal life, which includes these th- three things mentioned in verse 30. Righteousness, sanctification, or holiness, if you have the NIV, and redemption again all of these were by god's doing which suggests he is both the origin and source let's take a minute to unpack these they're familiar terms righteousness is for the christian the status of being right before god once guilty criminals now cleared of every charge This is really, when you see this in the Greek, and especially in this context, this is more of a legal or forensic term rather than an ethical one. Despite our guilt of having broken the law, God gives us the standing of the innocent, declares us right, innocent before Him. And in so doing, He acquits us and has a share in Christ's righteous character. Secondly is sanctification. This is holiness. This is found only through Christ and allows us into the presence of God. We are now set apart for Him to be His and for His service. The defilement of sin that separated us from God, that barred us from fellowship with God has been removed. And now we can enter, as it were, the holy of holies, the veil having been torn in two, and we can approach God whenever we want in prayer and one day we'll be in His presence because we have been set apart. And thirdly, Paul says, redemption. Redemption. This is the release through the payment of a ransom price. We have the same idea, kind of, Uh, when we talk about redeeming a coupon, redeeming a gift card. This was used of the release of prisoners through the payment of a price. In the Greco-Roman world, there were slave markets, and a slave could be purchased or redeemed from one master to another so long as the new master paid the required price. You can see how this metaphor from slavery uh, was special to the Jews of the time as a way to express their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. When Paul uses this word, redemption, he most often is referring to the deliverance from the bondage of sin and not a human or political bondage, though the word can refer to that. This also includes the the reality of our future and final redemption before God before God in the last days. you're probably very familiar with Romans three and where the same word is used Romans chapter three verses twenty four and twenty five that uh, that come right after the the damning romans three twenty three all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and he says verse twenty four being justified as a gift by His grace, through the redemption, there's the same word, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. In other words, because He passed over, He did not punish them for those sins. He did still become righteous Himself by redeeming us from those sins in Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Corinthians. These three terms, these three characteristics, they would be pretty fantastic if you think about it. If you, if you think about the way I just define them in just their general usage, they would be wonderful if they were just referring to a boss that was upset with you or, or an estranged family member to to finally be uh, to to finally get your project done the way he likes so you're now in a right standing with your boss or or to to finally be able to sit down at thanksgiving dinner without that, that without that animosity or even a slave to be purchased out of enslavement either to freedom or to a better nicer more lenient master but to be characterized as such in relation to God, is mind-blowing. It's amazing. It is wonderful. And all of a sudden, the contrast with that which the world boasts in truly does make the pursuits of the world seem foolish. To boast and pursue, to give their lives for human recognition, human accolades, finances, worldly comfort indeed is foolish in comparison to giving your life to Jesus Christ and being redeemed holy forever oh you're a descendant of a rockefeller well i'm a child of god oh you're i've heard of you you're the leading intellectual in your field set apart from everyone else in your occupation? Well, I'm set apart from the rest too. The rest of who? The rest of the world. Oh, wow, someone someone doubled your salary to steal you from your last company? Christ died to steal me from hell. You want to brag about your accomplishments? I will brag about Christ's. And that's exactly how Paul rounds out this chapter in verse 31. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is from Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24. The context in Jeremiah is a part of a series of judgment oracles. God's judgment is coming because of their various sins. And in that context, the idea is that those who think they are wise in their own eyes, according to the world, will suffer judgment. They're doing what they want, what they think is right. And this verse that Paul quotes is part of the climax of those judgment oracles, which warns them not to boast in anything but God. Judgment is coming. Stop boasting in yourselves. Only boast in God. In other words, they should evaluate or rather, they should not evaluate themselves by any human criteria because God has called them by different standards. And Paul quotes this verse to sum up what he has written regarding the doctrine of salvation and the ethical implications of the Corinthians' factions. And I should point out in, in our verse in First Corinthians that the force of the grammar indicates a command. You must do this if you're going to boast, which is all of us, boast in the Lord.
0: This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m., Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com.